Our first reading <coughs> can be found on page 746 of the Old Testament section in the Bibles, and it comes from the book of the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 31, beginning at verse 31. <coughs> The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. <clears throat> I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the Gospel reading, <clears throat> which can be found on page four in the New Testament section. And it comes from Matthew chapter five, beginning at verse 17. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus is speaking. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfil. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth shall pass away, not one letter not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court with him, 
or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. As we stand, let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations, attitudes and actions of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. Please sit down. How many Anglicans does it take to change a light bulb? Apparently the answer is eight. One to change it, four to complain bitterly that it's happened, and another three to say they don't like change anyway. This morning we return another Sunday for the Sermon on the Mount. Our Lord last week, you might recall, said those stunning words, you, people of God, you in the kingdom are what? The light. The light of the world. And Jesus said to us, let your light so shine before people that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so today, and in fact over the next two weeks in Matthew chapter 5, we will see and hear what those good deeds are that Jesus wants those in his kingdom to practice. What does it mean for us to let that light shine in our homes, in our neighborhoods, with our colleagues and friends and family? What does that mean? And in these next few weeks, we will cover some of the very nitty-gritty aspects and areas of life. Today, anger, murder, our words, the unreconcilable relationships that we might have. In a few weeks' times, we're not dodging it, but we asked Mark the vicar to do it, in a few weeks' times, lust and adultery and, and divorce. And next week, just to tie in with those speaking, next week we'll look at the end of chapter 5. How do we love our enemies? What does it mean for us to go that second mile? And six times in chapter 5, you might know that Jesus does what we've heard already from Sue's reading. You have heard that it was said long ago. But I say to you. Have a look. Open your Bibles. Page 4 of the New Testament. Six times this pattern happens. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Page 4, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus does that. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Verse 31, it was also said, but I say to you. Verse 38, uh, 33, I beg your pardon. Again, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Verse 38, verse finally 43. Do you get the picture? Jesus is showing us what it means to let our light shine and do those good deeds together as those in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, to do this, we are to listen to him. I say to you, I, Jesus himself, says to us. And so it could sound like Jesus is getting rid of all that came before him. The Old Testament, Moses and the law. But of course, he's not. 
verse 17 couldn't be more emphatic, could it? Did you hear it? Verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Fulfill. A much-loved word by Matthew. You might recall the beginnings of the gospel and stories, narratives we hear at Christmas time. This was to fulfill, this was to fulfill, this was to fulfill. So what does it mean for Jesus to fulfill the law and the prophets? Well, think with me again of a lamp light bulb. In fact, think of this one just above us. If you were here at 11 o'clock last week, Mark used this as an illustration. But imagine if I promised today to change that light bulb. I make a promise, and next week I fulfill that promise. I'm not really making this promise. It's not my job to do that. It's other people's, but it will be done. If I made the promise, and then in a week's time put the light in, I would have done what? I would have fulfilled that promise. But then think of a light bulb. If I had one in my hand, what does a light bulb have? Well, it has the potential to shine. But when it's in my hand, as energetic as I might be sometimes, there's no electricity going to light that light bulb. I've got to put it in, turn it on, and then the potential is fulfilled. The light then is shining. The law and the prophets, Jesus said, were there to let the light and blessing of God's people go to all the world. But if you know the Old Testament, they'd done good jobs sometimes and bad jobs most of the time. In fact, Jesus has said, the people of God are meant to be a city on a hill, Jerusalem, built on a hill, to let that shine to all people. And yet, by the end of the Gospel, in Matthew's Gospel, what has happened? The law and the prophets have been fulfilled. The Messiah has come, and now that light and that blessing is going to all the nations. Do you remember the end of Matthew's Gospel? Go into all the world and make disciples of all people, teaching them to do what? To obey everything I have commanded you. And so this light... The potential, the promise of light, comes through Jesus, the one who fulfills the law and the prophets, the one who lives out rightly, perfectly, uniquely, what it means to love God and love our neighbor. And then the people of God are caught up into this great mission as those who are forgiven, as those who are loved, as those who are welcomed by the Heavenly Father to then let their light shine. The promise of light, the potential of light is fulfilled. And so Jesus, when he comes, and Mark made mention of this last week, he's not coming to sort of do a plan B. The Old Testament didn't work, now it's a plan B. No, it's always been plan A. Plan A, to let the light of God and the blessing of God go to all nations. And Jesus is here to fulfill that. And through his people to enable that to all the world. And in fact, the Church of England, it has its 39 articles, its doctrines of belief and faith. And Article 7 says the Old Testament is not contrary to the New. For both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, everlasting life is offered to mankind through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Jesus doesn't come, verse 17, to abolish the law, but accomplish it. But I think those first people on that hill, on the shores of Galilee, on the mountains surrounding it, they would have been asking, what does it mean that you fulfill them? What does it actually mean for the commandments? We've read and prayed the Ten Commandments this morning. What does it mean for them? 
And Jesus says, to fulfill it means to go deeper. To go deeper than merely the actions to the attitude. Not merely the external, but the internal. Not merely what we do with our hands, but what we do with our hearts. Because the Pharisees of the day were all about outward observance, external religion, keeping the laws as best they could, but they had no heart of love for God and love for neighbor. And so Jesus says what then would have been a bombshell. Verse 20. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the religious elite. They were the best of the best. They were the most devout, the most religious, the most sincere, the most godly, the most respected. And yet Jesus says to his followers, to those in the kingdom of heaven, to those who know their heavenly Father, your righteousness, your quality of life, your inner disposition, the goodness and quality of your life has to exceed, surpass by going deeper. And then he gives us the first example. Commandment number six. You shall not murder. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. You see, the Pharisees thought, well, I've not murdered, I'm fine. They've kept the external command, so all is well. But Jesus says, not murdering is not enough. And we know this, don't we? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt us. We know that's a lie. We know words can assassinate people, wound people hurt people, harm people, ruin a reputation, ruin someone's confidence even for life. And so Jesus goes deeper, deeper than mere murder. This week, it's hard not to hear of murder and think of the atrocities in Nottingham, of those three dear lives, of Grace O'Malley Kumar, of Barnaby Webber, and of Ian Coates. Watching family members, fathers share of their inconsolable grief at the madness of murder in the early hours of Thursday morning on the streets of Nottingham. Our hearts go out to those families. We cannot imagine that loss and our prayers are with them. And if you're anything like me, you look at that and think, how on earth can that have happened? How could one person do such evil? It seems so far removed from what we could do, from what would be possible for us. And yet Jesus tells us to look deeper. Not just to our actions, we may have a murderer amongst us this morning, but not just our actions, but our attitudes. Murder is not just about our hands, says Jesus, it's about our hearts. 
is not external but internal. Anger is the fountain from which murder flows. And this poison, at least for me, is closer to home than is often realized. Jesus says, if you are angry with another, you are liable to the same judgment as the murderer. Jesus goes on, verse 22, if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. People often remark that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is the most beautiful, wonderful, loving ethic ever heard from the lips of another. And it's true. But it's not soft, is it? Have you ever wished another dead? Have you ever muttered under your breath, you fool, you idiot, or worse? Apparently road rage only came in in 1997, but I'm sure it existed before then, if not in the dictionaries. You see, God sees and cares, not only for the action of murder, but for the attitude. He sees and cares for the inner person. And today, being Father's Day, is a day of joy and sadness. All sorts of reasons for both of those emotions. But one of the reasons for sadness can be that we have had a father himself who has been angry, whose own words and actions and attitudes have caused us harm, or even we ourselves have been that father. Well, Jesus says that such fiery behavior is playing with the fires of hell. In Jerusalem, there was a rubbish dump on the edge of the city that was always smoldering, always fire. And Jesus says that is a fitting place for those who smolder and simmer inwardly with anger. And so Jesus asks us to look deeper. It's not comfortable, is it? He asks us to look deeper and desires in his people those who are poor in spirit, those who have repented and entered the kingdom of heaven. He desires this quality of life, this quality of goodness in our attitudes, in our hearts. And we know, those who are Christ, what it has been like for Christ slowly but surely and not yet perfectly to shape us so that we don't always say the things we once did, so that we don't always think the things we once did, so we don't always do the things we once did. Jesus says, let your light shine before others. And this includes our anger. And finally, and more briefly, he turns somewhere else. I don't know if you can ever imagine a vicar or priest, clergyman like myself, saying sometimes it's good to leave church early. But today that's what Jesus tells us. Sometimes it is good to leave church early. Not to sort out the roast, but to sort out our relationships. 
Did you hear what he said? Verse 23, listen to the words of our Lord. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Jesus says there is something more important, more holy than religious activity. Then it was the temple. It was Jerusalem, it was the altar, it was bringing your gifts to the very place where God dwelt by his presence. Today, what is coming to the house of God, isn't it? Coming to the church, gathering of God's people to celebrate in word and in sacrament. And it's coming to this, our Lord's table. The holiest of moments, the holiest of places. But Jesus says there is something more important. In effect, he says, if while at church, you remember that a fellow Christian has something against you, quite possibly because something you have said, which would follow from what our Lord has just said, then Jesus says, leave church. Go home now. In fact, he says, don't go home. Go to the home of the person you know you have wronged and be reconciled. I think when we find it difficult in church life to relate to another, we are often told things like, just ignore them. Stay away from them. Keep a distance. Or even move church. But this is not how we shine as people of the kingdom of heaven. This is not what Christ calls us to as he calls us to the deeds and goodness of his Father. He says there is something more important than religious observance, than religious service, than even partaking in Holy Communion. And this is being reconciled. Reconciled to a fellow brother and sister whom you have wronged. Jesus says what's in your hands, the gift when you came to the altar or today, the bread and wine that you received, actually there is something more important than what's in your hands. It's what's in your heart. And so Jesus says, drop your gift, leave church and go and be reconciled. And this, I don't think I need to say, is tough. Any church of any size has divisions and problems over years. That's life, isn't it? But Jesus says, this is how you deal with it. And this will touch, for many of us, a very sensitive and a very painful area of life. But Jesus' words are for our good, for the good of the one we have wronged, and for our own flourishing. And so with our Lord's words in verse 23 in mind, let me ask you, is there someone you need to be reconciled with? Is there someone you have wronged that you need to go and put that right? And it may be that now is the moment. It would be rather awkward, embarrassing. It would have been awkward and embarrassing in Jesus' day. But in fact, in the Book of Common Prayer, Thomas Cramner, the author of that, knew our Lord's words and he placed the effect the power of those words at the very heart of his communion service. 
before coming to the table, before receiving bread and wine, he said we needed to examine ourselves before God and before one another. I quote, If ye shall perceive your offenses to be such as are not only against God, but also against your neighbors, then ye shall reconcile yourselves unto them, being ready to make restitution, according to the uttermost of your powers, for all injuries and wrongs done by you to another. For otherwise the receiving of the Holy Communion doth nothing but increase your damnation. These words are hard-hitting. The king of the kingdom says to those who would come to the table of the kingdom to be reconciled. The Lord who left heaven and earth to reconcile himself to us and to the world. The Lord who shares his table of reconciliation with us commands us to be reconciled with one another. And let me add that I think it's actually to our detriment that such words as Cramner are used so infrequently in our churches before we come to Holy Communion. And so let me ask you again, is there someone you need to be reconciled with? I'm not asking you and inviting you to leave now, but before Holy Communion next week, you could do that, couldn't you? That would be what it would mean for you and for our to you and I to obey the teachings of our Lord. And wonderfully and beautifully, what our Lord commands, He always gives grace for us to do. Imagine the quality of our life here at All Saints if we cared more about our inward heart and the hidden dysfunctional relationships that we need to heal than our own external religious obedience. Imagine. Imagine if we cared more about our hearts and one another than simply coming to the Lord's table. Don't you want to be a person whose righteousness, whose goodness, whose quality of life surpasses merely external? Because as we heard from the great prophet Jeremiah, the Lord has given us his law within us, his spirit, such that we walk in his commandments and in his grace. And so Christ works in us. What we cannot do on our own, Christ enables as he commands us. The one who came not to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. The one whose words were always of love, love to God and love to neighbor. The one who himself was murdered by humanity, who himself descended to the fires of hell, he today bids us come. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for this righteousness, for they will be filled. May God fill us by his Spirit and enable us to walk in his commandments. Amen.